Amen. Our God is holy. That means there's no one like him. That means he's completely other than. That means he's completely set apart. That means that he's the only one who can do what he says he will do. That means he's not like these counterfeit gods who say what they're going to do and then don't do anything. They overpromise and underdeliver. Our God underpromises and overdelivers. He speaks his word and then he follows up on it. He does what he says he will do, and we can trust in that. I'm so grateful uh, for Evan and our, our praise team, our, our youth band. And last week we celebrated our 80th anniversary as a church, and it was great to see so many guests and, and visitors. And uh, today we get a little glimpse of the next 80 years of our church with Emily and Gabe and, and Caleb, some of our students up here. It's great to see them using their gifts to, to glorify the Lord and I'm so grateful for Evan. He, he's a, a good musician as well as a good preacher and a good singer and, and a wonderful minister to youth. Now that I have a vested interest in the youth ministry is I have a teenager, uh, not teenager, but a 12-year-old now who's in uh, the youth group and that makes me feel old. Uh, some former Forest Hills folks are here today and I can't believe how old uh, you know, they are. Time goes on, but our God is uh, operating outside of time. Our God is in charge of all things, and he brings all things together for our good and for his glory. And we trust in that. We can trust that our God is holy and that he's bringing all of this somewhere good. Last week was a, a wonderful day of celebration and fellowship. I was grateful that the rain held off and we were able to, to eat outside around the tables and try to mitigate any risk of COVID exposure. But uh, I know we've longed for fellowship for so long and, and just want to be together and celebrate together what our God has done and just to enjoy Christian fellowship. We need each other. Christianity is a team sport. You can't do it on your own. We have to have help. And it was a wonderful time to hear from Dr. Sherman about how knowing Jesus transforms our values. It changes everything in our lives. They, they become cruciform. Our lives become shaped by the cross, even down to how we laugh. Yes, Dr. Sherman's always got a good one-liner every time I talk to him. Uh, it changes how we uh, leave as well. It changes how we depart from this world. You know, we've, we've said goodbye to some people this week as they've transitioned, but they've done it with faith They've done it the, the, the right way. They lived well and they died well as well. So it's, it's important for us to remember that even how we leave is influenced and shaped by Jesus. And I know some of you feel like we've been slogging through Isaiah for the last, what is this, eight months now. Um, but it was refreshing even for me just to hear a sermon from Matthew where Jesus was high and exalted and lifted up. Isaiah is pointing to Jesus, of course. Every page of scripture points to Christ and every page of scripture whispers his name, but it was refreshing, I'll admit, okay, to uh, just have a, a nice gospel-centered sermon about Jesus as he was exalted. My hope and my prayer is that we're gonna see Jesus more clearly each week as we hear the word of the Lord from the book of Isaiah, as Isaiah does point to the Messiah, the great prophet is telling us about God's plan to, to fix what's wrong with the world, to redeem this fallen world through the life, the death, and the resurrection of his only son, Jesus Christ. If only we'll have ears to hear. 
So today we're going to jump back into this uh, idea of surprising strategies, how God's ways are infinitely better than what we would come up with. As Rachel read earlier from Proverbs, uh, yes, we make our plans, but it's the Lord who establishes our steps. The plans of the Lord will prevail, uh, of course. And those plans are good. We can trust in that. We're going to see that the sovereignty of God over all things reminds us that no matter what we're going through, and yes, we are going through a lot these days, but no matter what we're going through, that God is using it. He's in control and he's good. He is in control and he's good. Those two truths we cling to as Christians. I saw a post recently that said something like, true peace isn't the absence of trouble. True peace is the presence of God. True peace isn't the absence of trouble. True peace is the presence of God. And he has promised to, when would he leave us? When would he forsake us? Never. He's promised to never leave us and to never forsake us. I think you'll see here today that God hasn't abandoned his people, that God hasn't abandoned his purposes for the world. And he's making a way for us to be right. But that way may not be what we expected. That way may not be what we wanted. That's not how we would have drawn it up. Uh, ben, you'll appreciate this. In, in 2012, the Philadelphia 76ers, Ben's an NBA guy. No one else that I know is an NBA person. Uh, maybe I don't know you well enough to know if you're an NBA person or not. But they, they had a good season. In 2012, the 76ers were pretty good. They made the playoffs, and they, they beat the number one seed in the Eastern Conference in the first round of the, of the playoffs. But then they had some issues with injuries, and they brought in a new general manager. And you know what general managers like to do? He came in, and he cleaned house. He said, we're, we're rebuilding. We're going to uh, have this whole new strategy, focus on these young players and develop them. And, and guess what? They weren't very good the next year. But they had a motto. You know what that motto was, Ben? They kept saying, trust the process. Trust the process. Trust the process. This young GM had a plan. And in 2014, they were terrible again. They opened that season 0-14. 14 losses before they finally got a win. The next year, they, they improved on that, and they set a record for the most consecutive losses by any professional sports team in history. Do you know how many it was? 27. They lost 27 games in a row. It wasn't pretty, but they kept saying, trust the process. Trust the process. And in 2017... The 76ers turned it around. They finished the season 52 and 30. They, they ended up winning a playoff series. And since that time, they've been a championship contender every year, including last year when they had the best record in the entire Eastern Conference. Trust the process. Our friends in recovery, they know this phrase well, trust the process. That's what they say at CR and, and, and other recovery programs. Work the steps. Trust the process. At, at the CrossFit gym that I used to go to, they'd say, trust the process. Don't overthink it. Listen to the coaches. They have a plan. Trust the process. I think Nick Saban, Alabama coach, famously talks about the process all the time, right? You, you plan to, to work the process. The key to trusting the process is that there has to be a brilliant 
process maker who sees beyond what everyone else sees, who has a vision for something that's down the road that the rest of us can't see, that he has a plan, that the process he's implementing is leading to something better than what we currently have. And if you don't have a brilliant, you know, Nick Saban type, if you don't have a, a GM who really knows what they're doing and can develop young talent, then you can't trust the process. We have a process maker in our high and holy God, only a holy God, who's infinitely more brilliant than the 76ers GM. And yes, Bama fans, he's infinitely more powerful and more wise, Walt, okay, than Nick Saban. Yes, he is, <laughs> even more than Nick Saban. If we will trust God's process, we will find ourselves made right with him, made right with the world, and, and made right with each other forever. We'll learn to live into his reality in a way that not only renews us, but renews the world around us, if only we'll trust the process. So we're going to see three parts of, of trusting God's process in our text for today. First, we're going to see how God's sovereign plan, how, how he's pulling all the strings, how he's in control of everything. And second, we're going to see how we respond when we don't agree with his plan. When we say, I wouldn't do it that way, God. And finally, we're going to hear his gracious invitation to embrace him as the God of all creation and, and just learn to be content as his grateful children who are happy to be a part of the process that he's including us in. So let's dive into our text today uh, in chapter 44 of Isaiah. I invite you to turn there if you have your Bibles. In chapter 44, verse 24, it says this, hear now the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord, who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back. This is who our God is. He makes their knowledge foolish. Our God can do all things. Our God is, is so intimately involved with us. He's our redeemer. We may know in our heads, right, that God's ways are best, that the Bible is true, but sometimes we're overwhelmed by this life. And we say, really, God? I've talked to so many people in our church who, you know, they, they got vaccinated and then they got COVID and then their kids got COVID and then they had to quarantine for two more weeks and then they had to uh, have their friend quarantine for another two weeks and then they got uh, laid off their job. Then they got all these things that just snowballed in their life and they're like, really, God? Really? We know that you're good. We know that you're in charge, but really? What are you, what are you thinking? What are you up to? We question the process. The solution when you question the process is to remember who the process maker is. He loves us intimately. It says in verse 24 that he knitted us together in our mother's wombs. And he's not some, some fake idol, some powerless counterfeit God. He reminds us here, he's the God who alone stretched out the heavens and made all things that we see. He's the Lord God of the universe. 
I know some really smart people. We have them in our church here who have, you know, 17 graduate degrees and who have read and studied most of their lives, who have been in graduate school into their 40s and now have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. But <laughs> the, the point is, really high achieving, really smart people at Vanderbilt, and at Belmont, Lipscomb, all of our universities around here. But all of that earthly wisdom just doesn't amount to an anthill compared to the mountain of wisdom that the Lord possesses. He reminds us here that he is the high and holy God who, unlike the counterfeit gods, what God speaks, he does. He confirms the word of his servant. His word goes forth and it accomplishes what he intends for it. And what it accomplishes is always something good. His plans are for our good and for his glory. He fulfills the counsel of his messengers who says of Jerusalem, the holy city, she shall be inhabited. Remember the context of this. Jerusalem had just been defiled and destroyed by the Babylonians. They had come in and, and literally put pagan pig blood into the temple and defiled it and, and tore it down. They burned Jerusalem. It was in ruins. They left Jerusalem as a pile of ashes. But she will be inhabited, says the messengers of the Lord. And the cities of Judah, they shall be built, and I will raise up their ruins. Remember, the Babylonians had come in after the Assyrians, who had decimated the whole Judean region. This was a place that had been suffering for a long time. But God's going to reestablish his people in Canaan, in the promised land. He's going to send his faithful remnant home. He delivered his people a long time ago from slavery in Egypt, and he's going to do it again, this time in Babylon. Why is he doing this? Because A, he loves his people and he keeps his promises, but B, he's got a process. What are they going home for? They're going to rebuild the temple, they're going to rebuild Jerusalem. And in that very temple, the baby Jesus would be presented to the Lord, where Simon and Anna celebrate the new king of the world who has come into the world that God sends. The Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, was not coming to Babylon. He was coming to Jerusalem, into Canaan, into the promised land where God's people dwelled. He would come and not only be presented as a baby in that temple, but he would later come and cleanse that temple as he overturned the tables of the money changers and reminded us that that temple is to be a house of prayer for all nations. This all sounds great to God's people. If you're reading this in exile, you think, awesome, let's go. Let's go home. God's gonna come and free us again, break our bonds. They're slaves. Remember, they're property. They're human property in Babylon, bound in shackles, working, breaking their backs for a pagan people in a pagan place. But then God throws them a curveball. Look at verse 28. This is the God who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall fulfill all my purpose. Saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Who's Cyrus? Cyrus is the founder of the Persian Empire. 
And yes, Cyrus did go from, you know, region to region, just conquering really most of the Middle Eastern world at that time. And yes, he allowed some of the exiles where he went to go home, and he even funded building their temples, but he funded all the temples. He was trying to cover his bases spiritually. He didn't know which God was right. He didn't care about the, the God of, of the Jews. So he just said, yeah, sure, go home. But he was trying to hedge his bets by building all the temples to all the gods because he was a deeply pagan person. He was a brutal military conqueror. He was a dictator who had a, a thirst for blood and for more land and for more money and more gold. And here God refers to him as his shepherd, even as his anointed one. You know what the Hebrew word for anointed one is? Mashiach, Messiah. It's the same word that in Greek is translated as Christ. He's calling this pagan, brutal dictator his Christ, his Messiah. What in the world is going on? Those are words that are used in the Bible to describe the royal line of David from which the ultimate shepherd, the ultimate king would come, Jesus, who is the true Christ. So for him to refer to Cyrus as a Christ, as a Messiah, was deeply, deeply offensive to the good religious people of Judah. They were deeply hurt and offended by this idea that this guy could be equated to a Davidic king. But here's the thing, God is in charge of all of history. Isaiah's been trying to show that, show that to us all along. God's not just concerned with like religious stuff, right? He's not just concerned with pastors and Bible studies and churches. God's in everything. He's not scared of getting his hands dirty. This means that, that God is sovereignly involved in the government of Rwanda right now. This means that God is working out his purposes through the economy of Sweden right now. This means that God cares about research going on in institutions in Argentina right now. Our God is in charge of all of this. And we, we tend to have this really kind of small view, right? Our world is about this big a lot of times. This is why I think international mission trips and travel are so great for us because they kind of explode our world, but we tend to make God fit into our little worldview. We tend to make God in our own image. We try to fit him into a box that we can kind of understand or wrap our brains around. All people groups do this. You know, ancient tribes had like their own local tribal deities, and that's what we all tend to do with the high and holy God. But only the God that we worship, only the true triune God of the universe is supremely sovereign over all. We're talking about a God here who created every atom in the entire universe. Not only did he create it, but he sustains every atom by his sovereign power and mercy. Streams of mercy that never cease that call for us to sing loudest praise. I read an article that said pastors shouldn't sing before they preach because it'll hurt our voice. Man, I was singing my heart out over there. Those are great singable songs. I encourage you to sing loud, whether you have a great voice or not. We have no clue 
about God's ultimate power, about his ultimate glory, about his ultimate beauty, his ultimate perfection. You know, after I said a couple times that we see like a mosaic, you college kids that weren't here before to hear me say, I say this a lot, that we see like a mosaic like six inches away, right? The little tiles that are in place and we can't see the big picture, but God's the artist who planned the whole mosaic. He sees the whole big picture. I, I told that, that story or that illustration and Craig Williams uh, told me that his pastor used to say that we, we are like a little kid at a parade, watching the parade, you know, through our, our parents' legs, just seeing like one little float at a time, just catching a glimpse of whatever we can see from behind the grown-ups. And God's like the parade planner who staged everything, who set up the, the, the staging area, who has in charge of the cleanup, who is in a helicopter overhead with a bird's eye view of everything that's going on along the entire parade route. We have such a limited perspective. So God is in charge. He's letting Cyrus have his moment in the sun. He's, he's kind of given the world to Cyrus on a silver platter, but it's all part of a bigger plan. Look at verses two and three as, as we keep going into chapter 45. Again, you know that, that these chapters and verses weren't uh, inspired by God. They were put there uh, like in the 600s by some people, really great, smart people, but they're not inspired. I will go before you, God says to Cyrus, I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I'll give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places that, this is a purpose statement, that you may know that it is I, the Lord, Yahweh, that's his name, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. It's God who's doing these things. Again, here's another purpose statement. For the sake of my servant, Jacob. It's, it's twofold. It's actually threefold we're going to see. But his purpose is, is so that he's doing this for his people. He's doing it so Cyrus will know who he is. And Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. He calls Cyrus by his name. He calls Israel by their name. I name you, though you do not know me. So God is working out his purposes through Cyrus. It's not really about Cyrus. Again, it's, it, it's about God's people, but it's not even about God's people, ultimately. It's about God. It's about God's glory. It's about God's plan and purpose and process being worked out. Look at verses five and six. I am the Lord Yahweh, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. You ever heard that phrase that God calls, uh, he equips the called, not calls the equipped? That's what it's saying right here. Maybe, you know, God's calling you to do something. We talked about evangelism in our Sunday school class today, our life group, sorry, this morning. And uh, we're like, oh, I don't know if I'm gifted for that. I don't know if I can do that. We're all called to evangelize and God will give you what you need in that time. Again, here's a purpose statement that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. God's tired of seeing people put their faith in counterfeit gods. He's saying to them, I'm doing all this so that people from the ends of the earth will know that I am the one true God who alone can rescue. We talk a lot about 
taking responsibility for your actions in my household these days. <laughs> I know there's Schlamps and others that are in these trenches right now. We talk a lot about this with our kids, about you have to own it when you make a mistake and you have to accept the consequences that come with that. You have to own what you do. Here in verse seven, I think God's saying, look, I take full responsibility for whatever happens, whatever's going to happen. He says, I form light and I create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. God's like, yes, I'm the one who's doing it. You wanna blame somebody? You know, this is real leadership, isn't it? He's saying the buck stops with me. I do all these things. Just test and see if the process is good. Trust the process. Like a brilliant and brave general manager, he's stepping up to take the heat if it doesn't work out. But of course he knows it will. He's bending all the forces of this world toward his good redemptive purposes. Look at verse eight. He delights in these purposes. Shower, O heavens, from above and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. He says, yes, there's calamity. Yes, there's good things. There's well-being as well. It's all about my salvation and righteousness bearing fruit throughout the world. The process is fun for God to watch as it brings about life and flourishing and beauty. Do you trust the process? A lot of times I don't like the look of where things are going. Do you trust the process? Look now at, at part two. That's all part one, that, that God's sovereign plan is good. But now let's look at our foolish response, starting in verses nine and 10. Woe to him, God says, who strives with him who formed him. A pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? <laughs> or your work has no handles. I think God and Isaiah are having a laugh here. I really do think they're saying, how stupid would that be? Woe to him. We don't say stupid in my house, sorry. How crazy is that? Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, with what are you in labor? We have a few expecting uh, couples here and some first time uh, dads to be. Let me give you some uh, advice. Don't ask your wife anything when she's in labor, okay? You don't need to ask a woman in labor anything. She's gonna do what God made her to do and it's gonna be great and there's awesome medical professionals who can help, but our job is just to be supportive and encouraging and present and available. But, but we don't ask, hey, what are you doing? Huh, oh, what you got coming? No, that's silly. And it's so silly for a pot to say, hey, where are my handles? You don't get to talk back to the one who created you. And yet we don't trust the process. What he's saying is the pot doesn't trust the potter. How foolish is that? He's saying that, that we don't trust the woman in labor to actually beget this baby. How foolish are we when we question what God is doing? So many of us look to God as, as someone who he's not. We think of him as some like Zeus kind of figure who's got these lightning bolts and he's just waiting to zap us when we mess up. That's not at all who God is. Others of us question his goodness or his 
presence. We, we say, God, you've left us. You've gone away. Or we question his omniscience or his omnipotence. I had a pastor friend who just this week told me that his staff has decided to make t-shirts that say, Jesus is not the jerk face that you think he is. <laughs> when God says woe to us in verses 9 and 10, he's not pronouncing judgment on us so much as feeling sorry for us. It's a cry of lament, like, goodness gracious, why don't you just trust the process? Why don't you just keep walking with me? Things would be so much better for you. You keep accusing me of being someone that I'm not. I promise I got this. Just get on board. That doesn't mean the process will be easy, okay? There were plenty of coaches and managers who got fired in the 76ers organization in those years between 2013 and 2016. 76ers fans canceled their season tickets. But the initial strategy of bringing in these young, talented, raw kind of guys eventually started to pay off big time. The way that God works is not the way we work. His strategies are surprising, but they're good. Your biggest challenge may lead to a spiritual breakthrough for you and for your family. When a young woman named Mary was engaged to a guy named Joseph and became pregnant, they didn't have any idea what was going on. It was a shock. When the guy who claimed to be the son of God, who come to, to earth to rescue his people, ended up being beaten and then made to carry his cross to a hill in order to die, it was a scandal. God's strategies are not what we would expect. They're subversive. They're countercultural. They're counterintuitive. That's why he's God and we're not. And that goes to our final point here. Our final point after our foolish response to what God's doing is his gracious invitation. I know we're about to go off the air. If you're watching online or on TV, I encourage you to go to woodmontbaptist.com and hear this last and final point, the invitation of the Lord. And look at verse 14. Thus says the Lord, the wealth of Egypt and, and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabaeans, men of stature, shall come over to you and be yours. He's saying this to Israel, to his children. They shall follow you. They shall come over in chains and bow down to you. He's saying they will plead with you, saying surely God is in you and there is no other God besides him. Little Judah of no significance would become a center of the world's nations to come and find hope and healing. We think we know better though. We think we know better than what God's doing. Look at what Isaiah says here. He, I think he's laughing. I think he's marveling at, at who God is in verse 16 and 17. Keep going, Esau, to the next one. All of them are put to shame. All the nations are confounded. The makers of idols go in confusion together. And then look at verse 17. A, a symbol, oh, in verse 17, I have it here in my actual Bible. We could do that. Isaiah just shakes his head and says, wow, God, Truly, you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. He says, God, you, you really are a God who we can't understand where you are, what's going on. You truly are a God who operates outside of our time and outside of our space, outside of our schedule. But we trust you. We don't know what you're up to. We don't know even what you're doing. But we trust that you are working out your process. And that's where God wants us, to be open to his invitation 
in verse 20. Go to verse 20. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep praying to a God that cannot save. Keep going. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. It's a gracious invitation to turn to the only place that we find true life, true power, true salvation, hope and healing. God is pleading with us to lay down our worthless idols, to quit chasing after the things of this world that are only gonna leave us flat and exhausted. On Fridays, Morgan and I have a little tradition where we pick up our kids at school uh, and then we take them to Granny White Market for a little after-school treat. And uh, it, it's funny to, to watch them. There's, there's so many different treats there. And, and it's like a little anxiety attack as, as Jude and May are like, uh, which one do I get? Do I get the chocolate bar? Do I get the ring pop? Do I get a, a big slushy? I don't know. And I can see the wheels turning in their heads as they, they try to think what's going to make me the, the happiest, what's going to make my other sibling jealous <laughs> that I got. And they, they, they you know, have this problem picking out Sour Patch Kids or, or whatever. And I say, okay, guys, we got to go. I'm going to pick something for you if you don't. And that just makes it worse, of course. And they start to panic. And then sometimes they'll grab something weird that they've never had before. And I say, really? That's what you want? I know they're not going to like it. It's something strange and, and they're not going to enjoy it. And that's how God feels with us, only multiplied exponentially. He's like, really? You're, you're going after that? It's not going to help you. It's going to hurt you. It's going to lead to destruction. It's going to leave you empty. The only source of life is the true God of all creation. And he invites us to join in that life. Let's close with verses 23 to 25. By myself I've sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me are righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. We know where this is going. Every knee is going to bow. What happens to those who didn't trust the process? What happens to those who were incensed against the process maker? They're going to be ashamed. They're going to come with their hat in their hand and say, yeah, you were right. I should have trusted the process. I didn't know what you were doing, God, but I should have trusted you. And those who did trust the process will not be put to shame. They're going to be justified. See, it's, it's not like, you know, I love saying I told you so. That's my sinful pride. But it's kind of what he's saying here. They're going to be made right and proven right. All the shame that you experience as a Christ follower all that shame is going to be turned to this beautiful, kind of healthy pride. We're tempted to be armchair quarterbacks, though. You know what an armchair quarterback is? They say, oh, coach shouldn't have done that. Oh, they should have run this play instead of that play. We're tempted to question and second guess everything that the process maker is doing. But a day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Christ to the glory of God the Father. It can be scary to trust the process when it seems like it's not working. We would do well to heed the words of the hymn writer, William Cowper, who wrote this in 1773. 
God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs, his process, and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings over your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Let's pray. God, forgive us for questioning the process. God, we know that you have a plan for us and for this world and for this church. We pray that you would help us to trust your process more because you and you alone are capable of developing a process that will lead to flourishing and life for us, for the world, and ultimately for your glory. God, we long to see a day when all things will be made new. We long to see a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Help us to live on the right side of history now, knowing that one day it will come to pass. We wanna be those people who stand justified, who stand faithful because we were faithful in this life to the process. God, we know that your ways are so surprising, they're so confusing, but you don't waste pain, you use it, you transform it. You don't waste grief, but in grief you meet us. You tell us, blessed are the brokenhearted. You tell us that, that you are, are near to those who are brokenhearted. We know that those who are brokenhearted have a special place in your heart. God, I pray that you would help us to live close to your heart. For there in your presence, we find true peace. Lord, we thank you for opening the process up to us. May we commit ourselves more fully to it today. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.